0: Enjoy listening to the Prince College Podcast, a ministry of Prince Avenue Baptist Church, where our goal is to lead you to trust and follow Jesus. All right, you can grab a seat. Go ahead and grab a seat. And if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to join me in Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, we'll be there in just a few minutes. I don't know if you know this or not, but we're coming up on a pretty big week here in the life of Prince's college ministry. Over the next seven days, we got a whole lot of stuff going on, right? Here in just a few days, on Sunday, we have, I'll use the word infamous, the infamous Prince College Turkey Bowl. Anybody excited about the Turkey Bowl? Some of you have been preparing for this moment since August. It is our annual flag football tournament in which we have the opportunity to compete against one another in our family groups and some flag football. It's a time for some fun, clean competition. And I emphasize fun, clean competition competition. Some of you need that reminder. You know who you are. Fun and clean competition. It's going to be a blast. That's going to be Sunday at two o'clock. You'll hear more about that here in just a, just a moment. But a couple of days after that, seven days from today, next Wednesday on November 15th, we have, like I told you last week, my absolute favorite event of the year. We have Prince College Friendsgiving, right? Yes, yes, it's good to be excited about this. I'm excited about this. A full-on Thanksgiving feast with your Prince College family. A time for us to come together, to invite your friends, to share a meal together. We're going to take some time to, to praise God together and give thanks for all that God has done for us. A lot of things happening in the course of this 7 days. And leading up to this, we knew this was coming, so we wanted to take a couple of weeks here in Prince College nights and just talk about the importance of biblical community. And so that's why we started this series that we're calling In Common. And we're taking that language from Acts chapter 2 verse 44 talking about a group of believers in which they gathered together and it said that they all the believers were together and they had all things in common common. So we're talking about the importance of fellowship, the importance of community. So last week we kicked off this series by talking about the purpose of community, the foundations of community. And we looked at this group of people in Acts chapter 2, some of the earliest followers of Jesus, and we just kind of examined their life. And what we saw is that these were a people who were united by a common foundation, that they were people from different places, different backgrounds, different stories, united under the name of Jesus, and that they were devoted to Jesus, that they followed after Jesus, and in their devotion to Jesus, they were also devoted to one another, that they were committed to one another, and what we saw in Acts chapter two is that God used their devotion to bring about the salvation of many. We talked about how we desire to be a community like that, a community of devotion, people who are devoted to Jesus Christ, devoted to one another, because we understand that through the gospel, we are united to Jesus, but we're also united to one another. If you missed that, you can catch up with it on our podcast, but we're continuing tonight in this series, just talking about the importance of community and talk about community with a purpose. And tonight what I want to talk to you about is the importance of bringing people to Jesus. That's when we had Ryan come up and just testify of some examples in his life of where he has seen men come alongside him, people come alongside him and encourage him and point him to Jesus. And tonight we're going to continue talking about that. And my hope for tonight is simple, that as we talk about these things together, I hope and I pray that you begin to think about the people in your life who have helped you experience more of Jesus. And you begin to think about how you could do that for others. So, we're going to do that through looking at this story in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. I'm going to read this story in its entirety, and then we're going to take some time to just walk through it together and unpack it together. And I'm going to point out some key things that I want us to see, and then we're going to talk about how we can begin to apply this to our lives here and now. So, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 5. Verses 17 through 26, if you've got your Bible, you can read along. If not, it will be on the screens. It says this. On one of those days, as he was teaching, it's talking about Jesus, the Pharisees and the teacher of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. That's a beautiful line. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof. And they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus perceived their thoughts, and he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Son of Man is a title for himself. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God, and in amazement, seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, "We have seen extraordinary things today." This is an incredible story. There's a lot here. That I want us to see. And there's just so much that I think just illustrates for us what it looks like to actively be involved in what Jesus is doing in the lives of others. So I want us to unpack this together. All right. What you need to know is at this point in the gospel of Luke, in the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus is booming, right? Things are going well. Word about this Jesus from Nazareth guy had begun to spread, and people have heard about all these miraculous signs that he had been doing, all of this incredible teaching, and they begin to flock to him. And we see that here in this moment, where we catch up with Jesus. He's teaching in someone's home. And because of this rise in popularity, there are people who are curious about him who want to hear more from him. But not only are there people who are curious about him, there's a group of people who are also growing in some cynicism and some skepticism about Jesus. And these people, they're known as the Pharisees or the religious leaders of the day. And these were men who had a a vision in their mind of what a rabbi was supposed to look like, what a teacher was supposed to look like, what the savior was supposed to look like. They had all these categories in their mind and Jesus didn't fit into any of their categories. And because he didn't fit into any of their categories, they began to get really skeptical. They began to get really cynical. And so they're in this moment as well. So where we catch up with Jesus He's teaching in this home, and it's so crowded that you can't even open the door. Like, that's a packed-out house, y'all. Like, I mean, that's, I've been in some crowded houses before. Like, I, whenever I was reading this this week, I had the vision of, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up. Thanksgiving's huge in my family, and, like, there's always, like, never a place to sit. Like, you fill that styrofoam tray up with all the food, and you're, like, looking for a little counter space. And I end up, like, huddled over in the living room trying to, like, eat my turkey and cranberry sauce. That's what I was thinking about. But this is even bigger than that like so crowded that you can't even get into the house. The text tells us that Jesus is drawing this crowd and there's people from every single one of the surrounding villages. People are flocking to him to hear him teach. But the text tells us that not only does Jesus have the power to teach, but it specifically tells us that Jesus has the power to heal. And that's important because of what happens next we see the story start to kind of zoom in on a few characters. Some friends who are bringing their paralyzed friend to Jesus. It zooms in on these guys. And I want us to pause here, and I want us to dig into this for a minute. All right, we know a lot about this story because it's recorded in some of the other Gospels, as well we had the gospels of Matthew Mark Luke and John all which tell the story of Jesus' life from different vantage points and in Mark's account he teaches about this or he talks about this in Mark chapter 2 and so we know from Mark's account that there are four men who are bringing their friend to Jesus they're carrying him on a bed they're taking him to the feet of Jesus I just want us to like picture that in our mind and try to, as much as we can, put ourselves in their shoes. This is a man that we presume was important to them, a man that they cared about. They cared about at least enough to put forth the effort to carry him to Jesus. We don't know how far they have traveled, but we do know that they've put forth the effort to pick this man up on his bed and carry him to Jesus. These are men who had obviously heard about what Jesus was doing and what he was about, And they saw their friend paralyzed. And they realized that they could do nothing about his state. He could do nothing about his state. That no one that they knew could help him. And so they, in faith, pick up their friend and physically carry him to Jesus. But whenever they get there, they encounter some resistance. Because they realize they've arrived a little too late. And the place is too full. Be like if you showed up at the old Miss game this Saturday, like five minutes before kickoff, trying to get in the student section. Not gonna happen, right? They get there and it's too full. They can't get in. And could you just imagine with me in this moment, like if this is you, like I can just imagine like the discouragement that they would feel. Like they've come this far, they're almost there and now they can't even get to Jesus. But in this moment, they don't let this resistance discourage them. No, they find another way. The text tells us that they go up onto the roof. And what we know about this time period in in this particular area that Jesus would have been in is that the homes were built and they kind of had this like, almost like exterior staircase often that would go up to like a flat rooftop. And so if you could picture in your mind, these men, they carry their friend up the rooftop And they begin to remove the tiles of the roof, which would have been like their version of shingles on the roof. They begin to remove those tiles from the roof and lower their friend down to be at the feet of Jesus. I want you to picture this moment. Like this actually, it makes me like laugh a little bit. Because Jesus in this moment is actively teaching Like there's a ton of people gathered in this home and these guys show up and they begin to rip a roof off of a house that does not belong to them. Like this is serious disruption. It's not like they're quietly trying to like excuse him. Excuse me, pardon me, can I get to Jesus, please? Like, No, they're ripping the roof off the house and proceed to lower their friend down like some version of a spy movie, right? Like coming in through the roof, he's lowering, lowering, lowering to the feet of Jesus. You can imagine just the awkwardness of this moment. Like, what are you doing? But notice with me, these men seem to have no regard for the social implications. They seem to have no care for what others might think about their actions. They just have one goal. To get their friend to Jesus, no matter the cost. And they get him to Jesus. And he lays there at his feet. And Jesus says something remarkable. In Luke chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus looks and it says, When he saw their faith the faith of the friends, when he saw their faith, he looked at the man who was at his feet and he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. Now, again, pause. Think about this with me for a moment. Do you think that that's what these friends were after? Do you think that these men went through such effort, risked such potential embarrassment so that Jesus could extend some forgiveness. No. They were hoping for Jesus to heal his body. And the first thing Jesus does is says, your sins are forgiven. What's happening here? What's happening here is this, is that Jesus, when this man gets to Jesus' feet, the friends go through all of this effort to get this man to Jesus' feet. Jesus does not start with this man's external issues. He starts with the internal ones. He starts with the matters of the heart. He doesn't go after the visible problems immediately. He goes after the condition of this man's soul he goes so far deeper than these friends even knew was necessary. And he goes to the real issue. And he starts with forgiveness because this is the way Jesus works. He always works from the inside out. And so he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. But in this moment, I just imagine that there probably was so much tension in the room, right? Like tension because there's a gaping hole in the ceiling. This guy is laying at Jesus' feet that they thought Jesus was going to heal him and he hasn't healed him yet. And it's his awkward moment. And Jesus says this statement, and there's tension in the room because there's some religious leaders who hear this statement come out of Jesus' mouth Your sins are forgiven you. And their cynicism reaches an all time high. They begin to think to themselves, Who is this man? Who speaks such blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? It says that they're thinking that in their hearts. And Jesus, being no mere man, but being the Son of God, God in flesh, he perceives their thoughts. He says, why do you question? And he asks them this specific question right after that. He says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? Now, I just want you to stick with me for a second because this this is a really interesting question. He says, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? Well, there's two ways to look at that. on, On one hand, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no visible proof of that. Like you can't prove whether that's right or wrong. And in that same vein, if you say rise up and walk, it's immediately evident if that actually happened, right? Like you tracking with me, you guys understand what I'm saying? On one way, the visible fruits of it would be immediately seen. So saying your sins are forgiven would be an easier thing to say than saying rise up and walk. But on the other hand, on a deeper level, We understand that in order to actually authoritatively with confidence and rightly be able to say your sins are forgiven would be something that would have to be said by God alone. He's the only one who could do that because the sins are against him. He's the only one who could extend that forgiveness. So in that way, it's a much harder thing to say your sins are forgiven because it's gonna require the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's not just gonna require some time. It's gonna require his very life, a sacrifice. And so Jesus poses this question to them. There's no response. And so he follows it back up. He says, well, just so you know that I have the power to do both Watch this, and he looks at this man whose friends just lowered him through a roof, a man who is paralyzed, a man who could do nothing about his current state, and he looks at this man, and he says, rise, take up your bed, and go home, and what happens? But in a moment, this man who was lowered through a roof. This man who could do nothing for himself. This man who was utterly hopeless, utterly helpless. He rises, he picks up his bed, and he walks home. This man came into this place because of the faith of his friends, but he walks out of it because of the power of God. That's what happens in this moment. His life is dramatically changed, a miraculous moment, and the religious leaders seem to have no reply. And the people who are gathered in that home, they stand in awe of what they had just witnessed. This story is incredible. It's a story in which we see three things happen. I want to point these three things out to you. It's going to be behind me on the screen. In this story, we see the power of God exhibited, the glory of God expressed, and the awe of God experienced. This is what we see. This is the progression of this story. We see the power of God exhibited. We see Jesus heal a man physically, and in so doing, prove that he can't just, he can not only just heal this man physically, but he can heal him spiritually, that he has power over all things. His power is clearly exhibited, and that leads to the glory of God being expressed. Because this man walks out of that place, and the text explicitly tells us that he does so glorifying God. Why? Because he realizes that what was just done for him could have been done by no other than God alone. That he couldn't have done it for himself His friends couldn't do it for him. The doctors of the day couldn't do it for him, but he experienced the power of God, and the result is he walks out glorifying God. The glory of God is expressed, and the awe of God is experienced because not only did he experience it, not only did the friends experience it, but the community around saw it as well, and they stand in awe of what God had just done in the life of this man. So this is the progression of the story. The power of God exhibited, the glory of God expressed, and the awe of God experienced. And I wanted us to see this tonight, a week before Friendsgiving, because I wanted to see us something really specific in this story. This progression, the power of God, the glory of God, the awe of God. It would not have taken place in this way if it weren't for these four friends who brought this guy to Jesus. You understand that, right? Like, this story would not have happened had it not been for the faith of these four unnamed men. And I want you to see that tonight. We have no idea who these men are, there's no record that they were like influential leaders no record that they were like powerful politicians or even like important people in the community. From all angles, for all intensive purposes, it seems like they were just normal, ordinary friends. But they were normal, ordinary friends who possessed an extraordinary faith. And because of their faith, they did whatever necessary to get their friend to the feet of Jesus. And God uses their faith to bring about the healing of their friend, but also to impact the lives of an entire community. And the results of this moment are eternally significant. And I wanted us to look at this story tonight because it illustrates to us that God delights in using ordinary people like you and me to get people to himself. That's amazing. That's a remarkable truth that God delights in using ordinary people, people like you and people like me, to get others to himself. That through the faithfulness of a friend, they bring their buddy to Jesus, and his friend, his life was forever changed. And I want us to see that tonight because this is what I desire for us. I want us to be a people who are about this, getting people to Jesus. I want us to be a place that in our city, on our campuses and across the world, that we see the power of God exhibited, that we see the glory of God expressed and we see the awe of God experienced. That's what we're about here. That's what we pray for. That's what we care about. See, here at Prince, we talk a lot about this idea that we desire to be the visible presence of Jesus in our community right that we want to be a people who are passionate about experiencing enjoying and expanding the kingdom of God to our neighbors and to the nations we talk about that a lot here at prince this, as a college ministry this year, we've we, uh, kind of donned the banner of that we want to be a city on a hill. That's our version of that, that we want to be a people who shine brightly, that we care and we love and we experience God's presence, and then we shine brightly into the world around us. That's what we care about. That's what we're about here at Prince, and that will be accomplished the way that we accomplish that vision is that we continually, through faith, bring people to the feet of Jesus. That's what I want us to be about. That's what I want you to see tonight. And so as we consider this story, we think about the implications of this, I just wanna ask you to consider two things. Consider two things. These are gonna be behind me on the screen. The first is this. Take a moment to consider Those who brought you to Jesus. Like, really just think about that for a minute. Right here, right now in the room. Think about if you are in a relationship with Jesus. Consider who's done this for you. Who has brought you to Jesus? Like, you realize that none of us are here because of our own power, right? Like, we didn't get here on our own. Hopefully you realize that. Like, we are all, the Bible teaches us that we are all born spiritually lifeless and spiritually helpless on our own lost and without hope and that we are in need of a savior, that we need to know this Jesus who came, lived, died and rose again and the way by which we know him is because people introduced us to him. We are all in our own way like that man laying on the mat. We may not be paralyzed physically, but we are born into this world without hope and without life, and we need a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus in the room, it's because someone introduced you to him. And so would you take a moment and just consider who are the people who carried you? Who are the people who brought you to Jesus? Like literally think about them by name. Perhaps for some of you it's your family. Maybe you had a great mom and dad who loved the Lord and introduced you to Jesus. Maybe you had grandparents or siblings or cousins. Maybe for you it was friends in high school or maybe roommates in college or a mentor of some kind. But who are the people who carried you to Jesus? Like really think about them. I can stand up here for a long time and tell you about people like Ryan Knapp or Brandon Green or Scott Sanders who came alongside me in really, in, like really really important seasons of my life and continued to point me to Jesus, inviting me to see Jesus, inviting me to walk with Jesus. And it's because of their faithfulness and their continued investment in me that I stand before you today. It's because of men like that that I now walk with Jesus and I walk in newness of life. And it's because of their faithfulness to continue to introduce me to him. Who is it for you? And I want to encourage you to think not just about the people who brought you to Jesus initially, but the people in your life that continue to bring you to Jesus. Hopefully you understand. We don't need just a one-time encounter with Jesus. We need people in our life who are continually pointing us to him, helping us walk with him, helping us see him. So who are those people in your life who are even now pointing you to Jesus in all things? bringing you to the feet of Jesus in your despair, in your sin, in your moments of weakness? Who are the people who are coming alongside you? Perhaps it's some in your family groups or a roommate or some close friends here in college. Again, I could tell you stories about friends of mine, Stephen Drain, Zach Gerald, Jace Thomas, Chris Way, men in my life who continually... Over and over, model for me and help me see Jesus rightly. We need to think about these people. None of us have gotten here alone. None of us become the people that God has called us to be in isolation. Our lives with Jesus are all a product of God using specific people to bring us to him. And I want to challenge you tonight to consider those people because I want you to consider those people and let that consideration just develop a deep gratitude in your heart. A deep gratitude for the men and women who cared enough about you to carry you to the feet of Jesus. Like, as you think about these men and women and you picture them in your mind, let it cultivate a spirit of gratitude in you. Like how do you. How do you imagine that this man who was once paralyzed, who walked out of this house, how do you think he felt about his friends after this moment? Can I imagine he was overwhelmed with gratitude because of their faith, because of their effort, because of their love, they, because of what they had done in his life, his life was forever changed. And the same is true of you if you know Jesus. That because of men and women in your life, your life is forever changed. And I want that to cultivate gratitude in you and I want that gratitude to begin to change the way that you live. That as you think about these men and women and you develop some gratitude, I don't want you to just do that in this place so you have a little warm, fuzzy feeling at Prince College nights. I want you to do that so that it will begin to Not only just, gratitude's not meant to stop with you, it's meant to flow through you. And that which you are grateful for, you should put forth effort to try to replicate. Like we we talk a lot here at Prince. You may have heard Pastor Josh say this at one point, that we desire to be a Psalm 67 people. He says that sometimes, and, and what he means by that, that Psalm 67, the first three verses say this. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. So we're asking for the blessing of God, but look for the reason why. In verse 2, it says that your way may be known on the earth. your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you. Oh, God, let the peoples praise you. And so whenever we say we want to be a Psalm 67 people, that means that we want the blessing of God, but not just for ourselves, so that we can be a blessing to others. And I want to challenge you that if that's the people that we want to be, That that mentality should also apply and that the way that we have come to know Jesus is that we have the blessing of people who have brought us to Jesus, so then we should be a blessing to others by bringing others to him as well. And that leads me to the second point. The second thing that I want you to consider is to consider those you can bring to Jesus. So we consider those who brought us to Jesus, and I want to encourage you to consider those you can bring to Jesus. Like if you have a deep gratitude for those who have brought you to Jesus, the natural response should be to attempt to do the same thing for others. So I want to challenge you to think about it. Even tonight, think about the people in your life. Who in your life do you want to see get closer to Jesus? This could be a variety of different people. Perhaps there's someone in your life who knows Jesus, but right now they're just not walking with him, and they're pursuing a lot of the wrong things. Perhaps there's someone in your life who's running from God right now, and they're looking for validation, acceptance, meaning, worth, and love in all the wrong places. Perhaps there's someone in your life right now that has no interest in spiritual life, has no idea of what life with God is meant to be, but you need to consider who is it in your life Again, think of people by name, picture their faces, call their names to mind. Who are the people in your life that you want to see get closer to Jesus? And then consider how can you begin to play a role in getting them closer and closer to him, just like others have done for you? And that feeling, that thought, might be a little overwhelming for you. The idea of bringing someone to Jesus, even as I'm saying that and you're calling people to mind, you're thinking specific people in your mind, you're like, man, if they came to Jesus, it would really be a miracle. Well, the fact that you came to Jesus is really a miracle too. Like, don't let this be an overwhelming daunt. I wanna encourage you. This is what you're made for. You are made to know God and to make him known. You're made to be a part of bringing others to Jesus the same way that others have brought you to Jesus. And I want to encourage you. It is not your job to change someone from the inside out. Your job is to do just what these friends did, to put forth the effort to get your people to the one who can actually do the transformation. Like, I want you to understand that our role is introduction. Jesus's role is transformation. Transformation. Our role is invitation. His role is salvation. That's what I want us to understand. So the question becomes, how do we do this? What does this practically look like? How do we actually get people to Jesus? Because I don't know about you, but I don't have any roofs that I can go rip off, right? So what does this actually look like? Practically, how do we bring people to Jesus? If the roof ripped open right now, I would freak out. Just so you know, (laughs) all you looking up. How do we bring people to Jesus? Two things. Two things that I want to encourage you with really quickly. How do we bring people to Jesus? Again, I'll be behind me on the screen is that we lift them up and we invite them in. We lift them up and we invite them in. What do I mean by that? Well, the first thing that I'm saying is how do we bring people to Jesus, that we must be people who learn to lift up people in prayer? We started this semester with an entire series all on the Lord's Prayer because I never want us to be a people who undervalue the power of prayer. We live in this 21st century with the advent of technology and all this stuff and like, we, we just tend to just undervalue prayer that we don't think it has much power so we don't really go to it very often. I never want us to be like that. If we wanna be people who see others' lives change for the glory of Jesus, we must be people who go to God and ask him to move in their lives. This is what our version of coming to him in faith looks like for us. It doesn't have to look like ripping a roof off of a building. Sometimes it looks like just hitting your knees and praying and asking God to move in the lives of specific people. So I wanna encourage you, as you think about these people in your mind, you think about these people that you want to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, make it a commitment to actually pray for them. To pray for them by name and to ask that God would do something miraculous in their life. Would you care about them enough to actually bring them to the one who could change their life? That's what prayer is. Prayer is us bringing people before the Lord and asking, God, would you do something here? Like, we realize we can't do anything for them. We can't change them. We can't save them. But we know the one who can. So we're going to put forth the effort to bring them to him. And we do that by lifting them up. But we also do that by inviting them in. By inviting them in. Inviting them to share life with us like inherent in this story is that there was relationship there right like you understand that these are four friends who brought someone to Jesus this was somebody that they knew so we need to invite people into our life share our lives with one another invite them into even your community here at Prince and let them begin to see the way in which we love one another and care for one another and the hope is that as we invite people into our life and as we expose them to the people of God and let them see the way that we love one another that they would begin to see ultimately the love of the heavenly father we talked about that last week Jesus tells us a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you so you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. So we invite people into our lives. We invite people into our community so that they may be experienced the love that we have for one another and that that love that we have for one another would just be a taste of the love that God has for them. That's what we do. In these moments, that's what we're about. We want people to come and experience this community, not just so that they can meet us. There's nothing special about us. We want them to meet God. That's why we want them to experience this community. And so that's why we do things like Friendsgiving. And we put so much time, energy, and effort into doing Friendsgiving. I told you guys this last week, and I'll tell you again, we're not doing an event like Friendsgiving just to host an event I don't care anything at all about hosting events to draw a crowd. Listen, I'm not like a glorified event director. That's not what my job is. That's not what I'm about. I'm about creating atmospheres that people can actually experience the Lord. That's what I'm about. And so that's why we do this. We put forth all this time, all this energy, all this effort to plan an event like Friendsgiving so that you have the opportunity to invite your friends into that moment to experience the community that we have. And then the hope and the prayer is that as they experience this community, they would begin to get a taste of the love that God has for them and that God would use us to draw more and more people to himself. That's why we do this. And so your role next week is to invite people like crazy. Invite people to this event. And don't just invite them. Like whenever they get here, you make it your mission to love them as well as you possibly can. Not just for the sake of kindness. Like we want to be a kind and welcoming and warm place. A place in which all people feel loved and valued but not just because we want to be good people but because we want to be a part of what God is doing here in the world. That is what I want us to be about. People who lift others up and who invite them in.